0: is actually a real colleague of mine now. Not just a colleague that has been thrown over from England, but he is part of the Jimlikall School of Journalism and Communication in Norway. You see that? Assistant professor. Yay! (laughs) And that is mainly due to a, a new project of ours, Text and Culture, where we have got some money from some pretty rich people. And <laughs> uh, we really fancy the, the idea that last launched about an Inginicon as a hub, cooperating with the Damaris International, where Pete is situated in Southampton, with Schloss Miklesil in Austria, uh, with Credo Academy, Why do I talk in English? Well, so that you know what I'm saying. I'm not (laughs) not saying any rubbish now. You were before. Those are the main um, partners with Yimlichal in this. And Pete will play a key role together with some others of us. And therefore, it's just perfect that we get started with 205 this particular August because he had to come here anyway. So why not use them? He is very useful and he is very knowledgeable. And I got so frustrated this morning when I came into my office and, of, oh, all the books written by Pete are at home. So I don't have them here. But Pete, just a few mm. words of introduction. Um,
1: how much are you? Oh, gosh. Well, I'm going to be 35 next month
0: next month, so we can't have a celebration now.
1: Not quite yet, yes. Mid-30s, that's
0: a long way ago, thank you, that's great. And for how long have you been involved with the Damaris and and Nick?
1: About seven years now I've been working with Damaris uh, in the UK, uh, but I knew Nick uh, for quite a few years before that, um, ever since he did a mission um, when I was in sixth form college. I've known him. So, uh, yeah.
0: You have gone a long way. Yeah. And this morning, uh, Nick was pretty busy and Pete said, well, as long as I've known Nick Pollard, he has always <laughs> been busy. So, how is it? Working with Nick?
1: <laughs> busy. Yes. Busy? <laughs> <laughs> always exciting. Yeah. Al- always uh, different projects. He's always having new ideas <laughs> and uh, then someone has to do them. But." Uh, <laughs> <laughs>
0: doing them. And he writes book in the same pace as I try to write some articles.
1: I, ha- I do have one and that I brought I with one me.
0: One of them, yeah.
1: This is my, my latest one. It just came out this year. Uh, a Skeptic's Guide to Atheism. Um, it's a response primarily, mainly uh, to what's called the New Atheist Movement, who are a group of very anti-religious writers um, from England and America and some from France. Um, which I don't think have had a, as much as an impact culturally, quite this this far up in Europe.
0: Oh, That's, but it'll come. Yeah, it, yeah, it, it will uh, be coming
1: your way, I'm sure. Yeah. And we
0: want to be in the uh, forefront, yeah. be equipped for when it's on its way. Yeah. So, a skeptic's guide to atheism. It's mm. quite a title. Mm. Uh, what are the titles of the other books?
1: Uh, gosh, let me go from through the beginning. My first book was called The Case for God. Oh, um, I don't need to explain what that does. Uh, I then wrote a book uh, called uh, The Case for Angels. Um, That's exactly what it says on the cover. I wrote a book um, that I'm just revising for a second edition, actually, at the moment, for the publisher, because it's sold out, um, called I Wish I Could Believe in Meaning. Uh, it's a response to, to nihilism and it's defending um, that life has a real meaning and purpose and that there really is real goodness and real beauty and real truth in the world and how all that relates to there being a god.
0: Could you please tell them how that idea <coughs> struck you to write a book I wish I could be the meaning.
1: It was uh, just at the end of my um, postgraduate degree uh, in Norwich in the UK um, my first book, The Case for God, had just come out. Um, people around campus knew this. The campus bookstore was selling copies. It's the only time I've been on the best seller shelf uh, mm-hmm. for the locals' workshop because everyone at university knew, knew me, went and bought a copy. And I was at a student party one evening, and it must have been just a friend of a friend because I didn't know the particular girl in question. Um, she'd obviously had a few drinks that evening, uh, was feeling quite relaxed about life, so she came up to me. And she asked me this question. Uh, She said, you're you're that guy who's got that book on God coming out, aren't you? And I was, yes. And she said, oh, I I wish I could believe in God. It would give my life a sense of meaning. And I tried to have a bit of a conversation with her there, but it wasn't really the best of circumstances. Mm-hmm. Um, but that really sparked the idea off um, that there are people out there who wish, you know, they think that believing in God would give them a sense of meaning and purpose mm-hmm. in life. But they don't want to be duped. They don't want to be fooled into believing a, what Richard Dawkins would call a warm, comfortable lie. Mm-hmm. You know, they don't want to have to chuck their brain out in order to do it, and so I wanted to write a book saying you don't have to. You can keep your brain inside your head and believe in a meaningful, purposeful life. Mm -hmm. This
0: is uh, quite touching. I think it's great. Do you
1: have one more book on your list? Well, Yes, I I, I uh, co-authored a a book with a couple of Damaris colleagues um, uh, called Back in Time, A Thinking Fan's Guide to Doctor Who. Um, and uh, that's a a long-running British sci-fi science fiction TV series uh, which was uh, reborn uh, in 2005, came back after a break of many years and has been uh, more popular worldwide the second time around and uh, tomorrow in the workshop um, when I'm looking at the, the more kind of practical how I would use some of the the kind of approach that I'm doing about today we'll be looking at uh, examples from uh, Doctor Who and thinking about monsters in particular
0: (laughs) (laughs) and he said, to Morgan, calm down because I have done this with foreign students at OCCA you know, you'll go to OCCA in Oxford Mm -hmm. Uh, who didn't have a clue about Doctor Who, and they really enjoyed it. Yeah. So everyone will really enjoy it tomorrow, whether you are a fan of Doctor Who or not. and I'm sure he is right. I uh-huh. don't doubt it a minute. anyway, okay. your your former background, hmm. you know you sounds a bit you sound a bit like a practical philosopher
1: to me. Yes. Well, I, think, right. I don't think that philosophy is impractical. No. <laughs> <laughs> you see? I, I think philosophy is the subject that, that deals with uh, dealing well with ideas. Exactly. Okay? And in my book, ideas are almost the most powerful thing in reality. Hmm. The most powerful thing in reality is love. Hmm. Uh, God is love. And that's the most powerful thing in reality. But I think the second most powerful thing in reality is ideas, because ideas uh, form the basis of how people think about the world, think about themselves, how they feel about the world and themselves, and consequently how they act in the world and themselves. So ideas are at the foundation of spirituality, and they're really powerful, and we need to to handle them well. So I think that's very practical.
0: (laughs) That's great. And that's why you are here. Well, partly why you're here, because we need that background into dealing with our particular themes. And this week, uh, we dig into the first part of the uh, curriculum. Uh, The first part called here, Popular Culture as a Challenge for... Preaching the Bible. Popular som some utfordring for Bible